With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Welcome to the Affected by Altitude podcast. This is a podcast hosted by Purple Row, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. And we are so happy to begin this new, I guess, entry into the lengthy annals of the Affected by Altitude podcast. You might not recognize my voice. My name is Mac Wilcox. I'm a new staff writer here with the Purple Row team. And I am joined by two of my associates, Evan Lang and Skylar Timmons. What's up, guys? Hey, how you doing? Ooh, just hanging out. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, man, we are just hanging out. It's been brutal in Denver recently. Uh, anyone listening to this will know that the heat has uh, really gotten to pretty much everyone that you know lives here. But we are hoping that we can bring a cool new attitude to this Affected by Altitude podcast. As I said, all three of us are new staff writers on this season, uh, this 2021 season for the Rockies. And so... Before we get into the actual, uh, you know, ins and outs of the season and of the Rockies and everything, we thought it might be cool for us to kind of introduce ourselves and sort of talk about, you know, what brought us on to Purple Row, what got us interested in the Rockies and, you know, just those kind of generalities. So I'll actually start with uh, Skyler. Um, Skyler, I'll let you kind of just talk about your history in the Rockies and writing and whatever you want to talk about, whatever, you know, the fans to know. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I'm probably like the youngster one of the youngsters here at, at Purple Row. Uh, you know, I think for my history, I didn't really pick up on the Rockies. I know my, my dad and my brother, uh, they were big fans because they were around in 1993 when the team first came around. And so I didn't come around until 1996. But even then, I think I don't really remember much ever watching the Rockies I, growing up uh, until about 2007 or so. Like many folks, the the miracle run to the through the playoffs and and everything was kind of what got me on board, and that hit right at the perfect time when I was in sixth grade, and so that kind of was the moment when I started following the Rockies more and started, you know, I think watching games more often because we could and everything. But I know, growing up, I was still aware of the Rockies thanks to my brother, and then also, you know. I remember playing All-Star Baseball 2000 on the Nintendo 64 all the time. That's kind of when I started taking more notice of the Rockies. Yeah, totally. That's awesome, man. And who's your favorite player? Ooh, favorite player. I. It's a big bombshell here, but it's Todd Helton, the Todd father. Deep cut. Uh, all time, it, it's always going to be Todd Helton, the, the, one of the most well-known players in franchise yeah. history who played 17 seasons. Ah, <laughs> oh, deep cut. It's not like you said Brooks Kieschnick or uh, something. Like <laughs> yeah. And and then I always have all like the the little favorites here and there. Like, I'm probably one of the few people that was a gigantic Michael Kadire oh, fan. Man. I loved Cuddy when he when came he was to with the Rockies. The twins. And and the sheer fact that the reason that was was. When I was playing fantasy baseball for the first time, like my freshman year of high school, I was playing on MLB.com because I didn't know what to do. And I saw this guy playing for the Twins who was doing pretty good. And I was like, oh, Michael Kadire, he's getting points. I'll get him. And then I just fell in love with him from there. That's awesome, man. Yeah, when he was a free agent, like <laughs> I was dreaming, just hoping like the Rockies need to sign Michael Kadire. That would be amazing. And then they did, and I was that's pretty happy. Yeah, man. Hooked from there, man. I love it. Yeah, Kadire was such a, a great addition for them. Obviously won the batting title. Um, 
That's awesome, man. I love it. And you're going to be surprised. You were absolutely not like the new guy here, I promise. But uh, I won't get into that just yet. Evan, Evan Lang, um, I know you got a deep, deep love the Rockies and the organization. Tell the, tell the new crew about yourself. Uh, so I've been a Rockies fan since, I guess, 95. I mean, I was a toddler when the Rockies first came to Colorado in 93. But uh, I think I've been around enough, long enough to call myself a, like, a lifelong fan. The, uh, the Rockies are basically my bread and butter. I've got the shrine over in the corner of my room with all my memorabilia and stuff. i got a closet full of jerseys. And no matter what, I just love this team, even when they're, you know, infuriating all of us like they have in recent memory. Yeah. But you just can't quit them. Um, I joined Purple Row earlier this year along with you two, so I'm a relatively new staff writer. Uh, really excited to be with the Purple Road team, sort of living the dream of actually getting to say that I'm a professional sports writer, mm. which has been my dream for a long, long time. So it's really, really cool to be able to say that. And I'm immensely grateful to uh, Purple Row for giving me that opportunity. And I'm really, really excited to be doing this podcast because podcasting is sort of my bread and butter. Yeah. Um, I've been on a Rockies podcast before. I had a short-lived uh, attempt at doing my own before I joined up with Purple Row. And I'm really excited to be doing this here with you guys. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, man. That's awesome. And we're obviously stoked to have you. Uh, I know you and I you know, message each other a lot on Twitter and, and things like that, man. I think, uh, I think your voice is a great one to have um, in Purple Row and, on, and definitely on the podcast. And I know you've got some favorite players that may not be the first ones to come to people's mind, right? Uh, well, I mean, the my favorite player of all time for the Rockies is Larry Walker. Sure. Uh, he was my childhood hero. I idolized him. I'm incredibly excited that he's in the Hall of Fame, and I'm really looking forward to retiring his number here later this season. Um, and then, honestly, probably my second favorite of all time Rockies player after Larry is probably Charlie Blackman. Yeah. Uh, I adore Todd Helton, but Charlie Blackman is very similar to Larry Walker and that he just oozes a lot of personality and charm, especially on the field. He's got, a, he's got a very distinct personality, especially with the big bushy beard. And he's just, he's a really cool guy. He's a really talented player. And I think he's criminally underrated by a lot of the national baseball media, mm-hmm. uh, like Rockies players tend to be. And then if, um, if I'm picking my favorite lesser known player, it's Garrett Hampson. I love my boy. Oh Yeah. My speedy boy, the hamster. Yeah. Yeah, man. And Hampson's made such great strides, especially the last couple of years, man. He's really, like, he was kind of one of those hangers-on cats for a hot second, but now he's really turned into an everyday starter at, you know, center. He plays all the outfield spots, plays all the all over the infield. He's such a he's such a core part of their success, especially now. Yeah, and I've been following him since he was at college at Long Beach State when he was a dirtbag. Yeah. And then he got drafted by the Rockies, and I was super excited. And now that he's finally one of these younger guys that's really putting it together, it's super great. Yeah, man. Well, and that, you know, the Rockies having that speed element to their games adds so much. And that's like what he excels in. He's so obviously so quick, often, you know, considered one of the fastest players in the game. Uh, so having, you know, his element, especially on a team that is sort of changing their their, their identity now, you know, it, it adds a lot to them. So that's fantastic, man. But he can still muscle out a home run if you need him to. Yes, sir. Sneaky pop, yes, sir. Um, <laughs> well, Mac, how about you tell us about yourself? Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, so I am also, as they said, I'm also one of the new staff writers on this uh, this season. Um, I have, I'll be honest, I've not been a Rockies fan for as long as y'all have. I uh, I originally grew up in Chicago as a, a White Sox fan. Um, been watching the Sox a long time. Came to Colorado in the year 2000, but didn't really get that di- that deep into Rockies baseball until like Skyler said, kind of that 2007 run really started paying more attention then. And then I would say I really started following the Rockies uh, closely, maybe that like 2011, 2010 area. Um, Right before the dark years. Yeah. Yeah. Tough time to latch on. Yeah. It was not exactly the the brightest spot to get into. I'm not really sure why I I chose that time, but you know, something about, um, you know, I really enjoyed seeing the kind of the come up of these guys like the Blackmans, right? And the, and the Arenados. And, uh, you know, I went to a baseball game with a buddy of mine. I got thrown a ball by Wilton Lopez. So I was always hoping for him to really kind of work out and be one of their stars, which, you know, didn't happen. 
But, uh, Wilson, you know, it's Wilson all... Wilson Lopez deep cut there. Yeah, yeah he's, he was always my guy. I was like, he threw me a ball. I hope this guy does great today. And <laughs> rarely did he ever do great that day. Uh, but, yeah, man, I, I, I've always uh, really respected the um, Rockies culture, especially. It's just very uh, inclusive. Um, you know, there are all kinds of people from different walks of life uh, coming by. There's people from out of state that go to the games. So, yeah. Uh, like you both said, very, very excited to be uh, part of this podcast. Very excited to be on the uh, team with Purple Road this season. And uh, yeah, man, this is the new incarnation of Effective by Altitude. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, you know, all of us having our own different experiences. And, you know, Evan, obviously very much involved with Rockies culture through various mediums. Skyler has uh, experience playing on the baseball field. So I think it's going to be a good time for everybody, really. So with the introductions out of the way, let's get into the bread and butter of this here podcast and talk some Rockies baseball, yeah? So right now the Rockies, as we record, are on a four-game winning streak. They just swept the Padres and took game one from the Milwaukee Brewers. There's a lot to talk about in those past few games and you know up to this point in the season. But I think one of the first things that we kind of have to get into is this rise of Rymel Tapia, is, is this incredible 14-game hitting streak he's on. He's setting all these records uh, for hits and doubles in that span that hasn't done since the 30s. What do you all think? I guess my first question is, what does this mean for the future for Raimel Tapia? A guy that's kind of been up and down. Is he cementing himself as a guy that's going to stick around for the long haul as the Rockies kind of go through this rebuild? Where, where do you all picture Raimel Tapia is in the future? So Tapia is really interesting because he was one of those guys we weren't really sure about. And it was one of those things where going to the 2019 season, it was sort of a, oops, we have to start him now because he's out of options. Because they really did uh, bring him up and down and up and down without really giving him a solid chance to be a regular starter. And then they didn't really have a choice. But last year and in 2019 is when he really started putting things together. And then this year, he has been one of the better pure hitters in all of baseball since June started in the MLB. He's first in hits with 27. He's first in doubles with 12. He's first in runs with 16. He's first in batting average with 450. He's first in weighted runs created. And he's first in Babbitt with 509. Mm. He is on fire right now. He leads the league in opposite field hits, which is really important when you're a slap hitter. Yeah. um, To not just always be pulling the ball. And his uh, his power numbers are fine. I think he's hit, what, four or five home runs so far right. this season. But that's not what he's here for. He's here for speed and to get on base as the leadoff man. And his uh, strikeouts have gone down considerably, which I think is really important for the kind of hitter that he profiles as. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a... Yeah, that's a great breakdown. Just as a quick stat check, you said it's actually five home runs on the season exactly, so you were spot on. Skyler, what do you say? Top you in the conversation for an all-star ballot? What's your take? Uh, as an all-star, I'm not sure if he's going to get there. Maybe as one of the player vote-ins, maybe they'll take notice there. But definitely for Tapia, he's, like Evan was talking about, he's been up and down through his career, and you know, until he started to kind of – get that regular playing time i was never really hot on tapia sure because it was that thing where he kept trying to do too much you know he want kept trying to be kind of that home run hitter which we were talking about that's never going to be really part of his game it's going to be slapping singles and shooting for the gaps and getting on base and you know, it's his defense still leaves a lot to be desired he's still improving on that yes but it's it's been a pleasant surprise to have kind of a leadoff hitter that's kind of the prototypical leadoff hitter uh having that once again somebody who can get on base you know, and then have you know trevor stories the charlie blackman's hit him in you know and having somebody with some speed on the base paths so it's been nice to see tapia rising he can maybe get in on the players ballot, but i'm not sure if he's a rockies all-star this year but i don't know if he'll be an mlb all-star but well, it's one of those things where Rockies players tend to be underrated by uh, fans of other teams who are, you know, the ones who are voting for players. And when the Rockies are overall not very good this year, they're not getting a ton of attention. So Toppy is not really getting the attention he deserves when he's really been good. Yeah. Well, and and I think both you guys yeah. 
Skyler made a great point when he mentioned the prototypical uh, leadoff hitter, because you know we had a we had a Charlie Blackman guy as a, as a uh, leadoff hitter for a long time, and Charlie Blackman did a great job in the leadoff spot. But I think one thing that Skyler mentioned that's such a great point is a guy that's getting on base at a high rate. He's got some speed. He's not necessarily a home run guy. He's an on base guy, and uh, that's a good point because yeah, at least in the last couple seasons they haven't really had that, and it's kind of cool to see Tapia you know, recently at least, kind of turning into that guy, like taking on that role. And Charlie Blackman was a great leadoff hitter because he was a well, yeah. he was a complete package leadoff hitter where he could hit for power, he could be on base, but as he is getting older, the speed has really declined. So he's still got decent wheels, and he's, you know, able to hit triples and stuff like that or leg out an extra base hit, but not to the degree that Tapia is. And with Tapia being the more on-base guy with that speed advantage. I think he does make a better leadoff hitter as the prototypical leadoff guy right now compared to when Charlie was hitting leadoff. Sure. Skyler, you got something? Yeah, and I think the Rockies have found a nice blend right now, something that they've been missing the past couple years in the absence of DJ LeMayhew. Finding Jonathan Daza, you know, uh, Tapia can get on base. And then Daza, who's been hot this year, he can hit a single, move the guy over, and setting up, being the table setters for Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman, Ryan McMahon, C.J. Crone. You know, your power hitters can then come up, and they've got guys in scoring position, a little bit better opportunities that they can capitalize on. That's a great point. And I'm glad you mentioned Daza, because that's another guy that's really kind of made the most of these opportunities uh, this early in the season. Daza... Um, is uh, is really kind of turning into that similar guy, that guy that's, you know, I, I know he's kind of cooled off uh, more recently as we record this, but uh, he's also, like just Skyler said, been, been this guy that's not going to hit for a lot of pop, not going to be a guy that's your three hitter, but he's just kind of been the solid two guy, right? Solid two, maybe, you know, a solid six or seven guy that's that's kind of moving the chains and getting the getting the, the ball rolling between the rest of the guys. So I think that's a, that's a really good call out. Daz All-Star. You know, again, I don't know if he's necessarily like Skyler said. He's not, probably not starting, but he's a sneaky guy for me that might just, uh, you know, make it in on a right end. And as we go from someone who is doing a great job, you know, with Tapia really coming to his own, we kind of go to a not as much fun topic to talk about, which is unfortunately Kyle Freeland, who recently, um, through his starts, you know, the last few, giving up a lot of long balls, a lot of home runs. We recently had one of our other writers, uh, Mario, wrote a great article about. Freeland potentially tipping his pitches. What is y'all's take on Kyle Freeland this season? Is he doing something that you're seeing? Is he not doing something? Um, and then what's the move at this point? Because he's really kind of struggled badly his last few starts. These are not like, you know, some seeing eye singles and doubles, um, especially against the Reds. He gave up five home runs in five plus innings pitched. Um, what's the move? What's the next step for Kyle Freeland to kind of get back to where he used to be in his old, you know, potential Cy Young self? So I do want to, um, before we head into this, I do want to shout out the article that you mentioned by Mario DeGenz on yeah. Purple Row. Um, it's called Kyle Freeland is Tipping His Pitches. It was the Wednesday rock pile for June 16th on Purple Row. I definitely recommend reading it and going mm. into a little bit more detail. He really does an excellent job breaking down how Kyle is basically telling players what he's about to throw. And there's not a whole lot of variance in um pardon me in his release points and he's just getting clobbered and he's been i love kyle freeland i'm a kyle freeland guy he's been objectively terrible since returning so he was injured during spring training and so he missed the beginning of the season he's after coming back from the il had five starts he has not gone more than five innings a single start and he has only allowed less than three runs one time, which was his first start of the season on May 25th. So across those five games, and they it gets worse, is that, so that first game only went four innings. Uh, this was against Jacob deGrom and the Mets. This was his bounce back start. So, you know, he's not going to go terribly long. That's fine. It's his first start since coming off injury. Uh, four hits, one earned run. Great. Sounds excellent. But he also walked three people. And then followed that up with a bad outing in Pittsburgh where he only went four innings and gave up three runs. And then 
it just started a big downhill slide against Oakland, five runs and only five innings. And then when we were in Cincinnati, he only went four innings. He got absolutely clobbered. He gave up eight hits and nine uh, nine runs, eight of which were earned, five of which were home runs. Uh, and he only struck out two. And he's not a huge strikeout guy, but he can do more than two in a game. Yes. And then against the Padres, it became a bullpen game because he only went three and two-thirds innings, uh, nine hits and five runs. He's just... He's not doing what needs to be done. And I think this can go back to, and I don't want to hog the conversation here on it, so I'll let one of y'all um, say your thoughts in a second. But my thought is that this is him trying to still get a hold of his mechanics because we've seen mechanical changes for him over the last couple seasons. So in 2018, he finished fourth place in Cy Young voting. And then in 2019, he struggled immensely and appeared to have some mechanical changes and then in 2020 he changed his wind up and was not 2018 form but was definitely looked like he had returned to form and then this year after returning from the injured list he's just all over the place yes yeah and so which is int- which is interesting <laughs> sorry i'm cracking up over here uh no it's interesting because we saw if you followed Freeland during his rehab stint, he was doing really good down there in Albuquerque, which is a very hitter friendly league there. And I guess the new triple a West or whatever it's called now. Uh, so I, but I do think it's figuring out his mechanics again. And cause we know Kyle Freeland's at his best when he's basically like Greg Maddox out there. Pitching to contact, getting a lot of ground balls, getting the double plays. Now, he's never, like we were saying, he's never going to blow it past guys and get the strikeouts and rack them up. Now, we're not expecting Jacob DeGrom, Kyle Freeland out there. Uh, but it's I think that shoulder injury threw off his mojo because he was doing really good in spring training. Yeah. Uh, but then the injury happened, and it, it just sort of derailed him. And so he might have changed something here at the big league level that's no, can't quite find that right release point leaving the ball up because when you're getting clobbered and giving up home runs, more than likely it's because you're leaving the ball up. And so he's not able to find that release point to get it down in the zone more uh, so he can get those ground balls, roll, having them roll over and bounce it over to whoever's playing third or you know, bouncing over to Trevor Story. So it's ironing out those mechanics, working with Steve Foster, working with whoever else working with the other pitchers and just studying up how he can get those mechanics back to where he's getting the ball down, kind of getting that top spin and working in those off-speed pitches where he's working ahead in the count and he can use his defense and kind of be efficient. I'd love to have him sit down with like Austin Gomber who uh, was having mojo issues at the beginning of the season and now has been just absolutely locked down. That's a great point. But I think there's a, I think, Skyler, like you said, there's a lot to be said about losing your mojo with an injury. Because think about, we've had this happen with some of our other guys who come back from the injured list and then take a long time to warm back up. Trevor's story was like 1 for 14 or 1 for 15 since coming off the injured list before he finally started putting it back together. And CJ Crone, after coming back from the injured list, was really, really having a tough time until just recently. It was rough. And it was the same for Ryan McMahon where he didn't go to the injured list, but he sat out for a couple games with that groin injury and then just didn't look 100% uh, until just recently. So I really think the injuries are throwing off people's mojo here, and I think that's a lot there. But during his rehab start, he looked okay. But then we pull him back up to the big leagues again, and he's having to figure things out all over again. Yeah, that's that's another great point is these injuries, man. The Rockies uh, are, like we said earlier, they're, they're kind of going through this big kind of reshifting of what the organization looks like. And, you know, um, it's funny you mention injuries because uh, we actually have uh, Chris Owings making a rehab stint. He should be on his way back up to the big leagues fairly shortly. And then uh, the other, just the other day, Michael Gibbons going on to the uh, 10-day injured list. We uh, bring up Justin Lawrence again for the 90th time this season. So Justin Lawrence figures to be part of the bullpen situation, at least for the uh, near future. So real quick, I, we got to get to an ad break here shortly, but I do want to hear about y'all's thoughts on this very quickly. Chris Owens comes back probably in the next few weeks um, if everything goes well for him. 
Uh, where is Chris Owings fitting in? Is he getting starts? Is he exclusively coming off the bench? Uh, where are you guys putting Chris Owings in your lineup, if at all? I, ideally, he doesn't start because every – I, uh, I wrote about this with the Chris Owings Dilemma article up on Purple Row earlier in the month, but Chris Owings, as great as he was during preseason at the very beginning of the season, you can't just cross your fingers and hope that he comes off on fire and take away playing time from Brendan Rodgers at second base or Jonathan Daza in center field. These are younger guys who are more likely to be the future of the organization that need regular playing time. And it's already been really frustrating that Brendan Rodgers is not starting every single game yes. when he needs to be. Yes. Because Brendan Rodgers, this is his make or break year. And I get that maybe they're being careful with him because he was hurt again. But if he is healthy, he needs to be playing every single game. And Owings, two best spots are center field and second base. And those are spoken for. There is no logical reason to take away playing time from Brendan Rodgers and Jonathan Daza for Chris Owings. Skyler, you starting Chris uh, Owings? Uh, probably not. And unfortunately, most likely what I see happen is Connor Joe. Because I haven't heard about Connor Joe for a while. Yeah, but Connor Joe's getting the boot back down to AAA, and he's just going to be your a yet another utility play wherever we want you, and just get this rotation around. Because uh, I'm sure in a pinch, Chris Owings can play first base, or you know, you can slide Ryan McMahon to spot CJ Crone, and he plays second. So it's either ideally you just figure out a trade <laughs> and send him somewhere you know, and get a piece, but. Uh, who knows? I, but it's it. The thing with the Rockies, you can never tell what they're gonna do. Like how um, Matt Adams is on the team. You th- you have one logical path, and they'll take the illogical path. So, I, who knows? I feel for Connor Joe, but he was hot when at he was. At this point, he, it might be better for him to go back down to Albuquerque when Chris Owings comes back because he's barely played since coming back up. He's one or two games. It's a good and point. If I know he's older, but if we do think he can be a bench or utility guy for this team in the future, then he needs at-bats because he's a a 28-year-old rookie. But he's just not playing at all right now, and that really is because most of our positions are pretty cemented down in stone. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, We, you know, we see a lot of these guys are kind of shipped up and down, but hopefully we can get sort of like, I think both y'all said, we got to get these young guys some starts and get that consistency going for them, man. That's just what this season's got to be. We're going to take a quick ad break here. We're going to take a few minutes, uh, a few seconds, probably not minutes, probably take a few seconds, get an ad break in here. When we come back, we're going to talk about around the MLB, talk about all this sticky stuff, talk about a little bit of what Tyler Glass now has been saying, and, you know, maybe get some all-star conversations. So hang out, come on back in just a bit. Thank you for waiting through that uh, awesome ad break. We are back. And uh, like we said, we want to touch on a couple things just throughout the MLB real quickly. We're going to spend some more time on things that are a little Rocky-centric. But, you know, there has been a lot of conversation about the spider tack and the, the general kind of sticky stuff in the MLB. Uh, we're not going to spend, like, too much time on this because there is so much reading out there on this topic. And, you know, from players and all these other, you know, high-level entities in MLB. But I do think it's an interesting topic. I'd love to hear uh, y'all's thoughts on this. So just a quick little breakdown. What are you thinking on the sticky stuff situation? Is it as big a deal as people making, are, are making it out to be? Is it sort of a, you know, thing that could go away in a couple weeks? Where are y'all at on that? I'm glad that it's finally getting, I think, tackled uh, because – like the rulebooks say, putting any foreign substance on the ball, it's that's not it's not allowed. You know, it's it's against the rules, and you know, the integrity of the game of you know, that conversation of baseball all about now is the analytic side of getting more getting more spin spin rate on your ball. You know, and time and again, the studies have proven that you know, better sticky substances on the ball increase your spin rate yeah and only you know, the that spin rate you can get a nastier break on your curveball and uh, increasing all this stuff and you know, i'm glad that it's finally i think getting tackled 
but it's been, <laughs> it's just a difficult situation. Yeah. Oh, uh, because you've got guys like Tyler Glass now who are coming out blaming the fact that MLB's cracking down on it now. That's what caused him to hurt his arm, and which I think is it's kind of true, because after watching the the video of him talking about what he had to do, that he felt like he had to grip the ball more, this fastball, and hold it deeper in his hand. Uh, and so that's causing more stress on his elbow and uh, all that stuff. So I think it contributed, but here's my biggest thing with it is the fact that guys have become so reliant on sticky stuff that they feel like they have to change their mechanics and how they hold a baseball that causes them to get injured. That's the bigger problem mm. is that guys have forgotten those basic mechanics of how to grip a ball, how to hold it in their arms. Whereas, you know, they can just put some sticky stuff on there. And like you've, if you guys have seen like the videos or the pictures, you know, how that stuff works on their hand, how sticky it is. It's mind boggling how that happens. Uh, and so it's, it's, the need guys need to learn how to pitch without that extra help, and you know it's going to be on MLB to also figure out a ball that's not so slick. You know, stop rubbing that random super mud on it, and when raise the seams, figure out how you can make it a little bit tackier, uh, so guys can feel like they grip. Because I understand the needing to grip it, uh, and making sure it's it feels good in your hand because that's all it's all about feel, but. They need to figure it out and figure out the ball. Either that or just legalize one substance for everybody. They need to figure it out. That is such a really great point. Yeah, man. Love that. Evan, what you got? If you look at if you look at the true Hall of Fame guys out there right now, like DeGrom, DeGrom's had no issue without using sticky stuff. His spin rates haven't really changed. He's still absolutely killing it. But I think, and it's funny that you brought up the MLB and having to figure it out, I think a big part of it is the MLB is somewhat overreacting and it is somewhat of a conglomeration of their mistakes where they keep screwing with the ball to begin with. So we haven't had the same ball for the last three mm-hmm. seasons in a row. Um, and that's making it harder for everybody. But then they overcorrect with the sticky stuff issue because spider tag and other very sticky substances made by clubhouse guys or requested by pitchers, I think absolutely needs to go. But sunscreen and rosin as a grip substance has been around forever because the rosin bag's been there. And you got to wear sunscreen when you're pitching outside because, you know, you don't want skin cancer. But, and that's always been around. And I think going overboard and banning all substances is a, is a bit too much because even if people were becoming overly reliant on sticky stuff to increase their spin rates, there is still a history of, you know, people use things to help their grip and sunscreen and rosin. I've never really particularly had a problem with. And I think if the MLB decides that they're going to, you know, say, Oh, one such substance is okay. It's going to be that one. I think spider tag and stuff like that definitely needs to go. Sure. But it's another thing of where the MLB needs to figure out what they're doing with the ball. Where in 2018 and 2019 and 2020 and 21, the ball has been different every single time. Mm-hmm. And it's getting a little frustrating to be like, oh, well, how's the ball going to play into things this season? And you have you have other players um, calling out the MLB for stuff like that. Like uh, the White Sox, Carlos Rodon was saying that the MLB was way overcorrecting. Um, other players have called out the issues with not having a consistent ball. And I really think it is that the MLB needs to have consistency on what it's doing, but also try to avoid that overcorrection. Because what are you going to do? Just say your players can't wear sunscreen right. and then leave it up to the umpires to decide if whatever is going on is going to be too much. Like it, it's just, you really got to figure that out. And I think this is a league issue and unfortunately it's sort of a running theme in major league baseball throughout commissioner rob manfred's tenure is that he sure does handle a lot of controversies but he doesn't handle any of them well and this is just another one on the list where 
it's not being handled well and they're overcorrecting and they're changing a bunch of different stuff. And at the end of the day, it's really not going to actually solve any issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely a complicated. And a big part of, yeah. And it's, it's, it is super complicated because I think what you're talking about MLB and like Rob Manfred, they're been more so reactive in all everything they do instead of being proactive. They don't get ahead of a problem. No, they're just sort of reacting to, to everything else going around them. No, a Sports Illustrated article comes out about sticky stuff, or The Athletic talks about something, and then MLB just sort of scrambles like, oh, we got to get back in good public perception, and you know, we got to do something about this, otherwise it's bad press for us. Oh, and so we always have to remember they're our business first and foremost, and their PR is very bad about handling <laughs> troubles and and problems and that even leads back to the whole thing is that they want to market mlb better and having constant poorly handled controversies done on knee-jerk reactions sure doesn't help with that yeah man the 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 situation and, and that's a good point as far as like yeah the marketing of it the business of mlb like obviously you know we're going to focus a lot on the players and and you know the sport itself but Skyler makes a good point, and Evan, you said it too. Like it's it's a business first and foremost. They want to make money, and they need to focus on what's going to make them money. Um, yeah, the whole thing is obviously very uh, very sticky situation. I'm gonna keep going before they uh, call me out on that pun. And so the next thing uh, we're gonna break down here as we talk about sort of the the general MLB landscape is the landscape of the Rockies division, the National League West. Uh, safe to say, it's been a surprise this season. We obviously. You know, I think it's not a hot take to say that we sort of penciled in the Padres or the Dodgers to lead the NL West. And while they haven't been playing badly necessarily, I think the big surprise has been the rise of the San Francisco Giants, who have taken a pretty solid lead of the um, National League West. They've had a real resurgence from guys like Buster Posey and Johnny Cueto. The uh, Diamondbacks, meanwhile, our uh, you know division sort of rival, if you will, are having quite the opposite experience, despite the Rockies sort of struggling this season. Uh, on the home and the road, which we'll get into the splits on that specifically in a moment. But the National League West has been sort of a surprise this season, both with the rise of the Giants, the struggling Dimebacks, and the the Dodgers and the Padres trying to get their steam going. What's your take on that? What's the what's the National League West? Is that a surprise to you personally? Are you shocked at what's going on, or is this kind of what you were expecting? I think it is and it isn't, because I'm pretty sure we all expected that the Rockies and the Diamondbacks were going to be shoring up the basement of the NL West sure. this year. And that's exactly what's happening. But the Giants coming out of nowhere, mm -hmm. they did a really good job sort of remanaging their team and their pitching staff's been excellent. Kevin Gaussman is their staff aide. Has been fabulous. Colorado native Kevin Gaussman. Yes, sir. Who I was a big proponent of the Rockies trying to get him, but that just didn't happen. Um, but then they've got such a talented group of people in there that are all playing very well and i don't know if they'll be able to maintain this steam after the all-star break but the fact that there are 2.5 games ahead of the dodgers right now and the dodgers had a little bit of a slide earlier in the season and the padres are having a little bit of a slide right now but the giants are the surprise for me mm -hmm. nothing else really is but the giants are skylar would say you on the nl west Well, it's just a world of depression for Rockies fans in the NL West because, you know, the Do or the Giants for years, everybody's sitting like they need to start their rebuild. They need to, you know, tear it down, start rebuilding. But the stinking Giants always refuse to rebuild, and somehow they fill a team of just bits and pieces, the island of misfit toys, they bring him in, and everybody starts playing like an all-star. And they also turn into Rockies killers, like every single one of them. And so... Jake McGee is a lockdown closer. Exactly. You know, what's-his-face just pops up out of nowhere. You know, you could sub in anybody's name. And, oh, Mauricio Dubon, out of nowhere, he's hitting 372 type of thing. Oh, and so it's kind of frustrating. I think it's a combination of that, and they do have yeah. they do have their certified stars, though. They got Mike Yastrzemski, and they got Alex Dickerson, and Buster Posey really coming back strong after taking last year off. So they have they have their strong guys who you know are going to be their strong guys. And then you combine that with these random nobodies mm -hmm. who were like, I'm sorry, who? 
or the fact that they traded for former Rocky that we obliterated his development with Mike Tauchman and Tauchman's doing and, great. And I think that. that speaks a lot to how good the Giants front office is that they can do that and just pick up a bunch of guys on like one or two year deals, pretty cheap deals, and they come in and they are producing. No. It just seems like every night I keep looking up on Instagram or Twitter and I see, oh, the Giants set this home run record for as a franchise or this MLB record. No, they're always in the news cycle of for doing something. And so that speaks a lot to their general manager, their front office, their analytics, research, scouting department, just everything doing everything right and it's paying off for them. Yeah, de- definitely they're they've always been ahead on they're one of those teams that's always been ahead on analytics and coaching and I think it really does speak dividends to how well run a team is that they were kind of bad for like 2 years. And now they're they got a record of forty five and uh, pardon me forty four and twenty five, and they're in their last ten games they've got a record of seven and three. Yep, as as we record today, the most winningest team in MLB. And they've been playing very well on the road as well. That is their big thing. Is that in the NL West especially they've got the best road record. They're twenty two and sixteen on the road, but they're also twenty two and nine at home. Well. You know, Evan, I'm glad you mentioned home and road splits because, boy, do I have some home and road splits for you. Um, You know, you guys all make these great points about the Giants and how their front office has really managed these new pieces. You you mentioned that Talkman's coming in made a big difference for them. Skyler mentioned these sort of misfit athletes who, you know, may or may not be considered upper echelon players, but they go into San Francisco and become these all-stars or, you know, at least above average players. And then... When you talk about a team that is excelling both on the home and on the road, then you get into a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks who are setting records for their ineptitude on the road. Um, You know, obviously, Evan said it earlier, I don't think anyone's expecting the Diamondbacks to necessarily make the playoffs, but this is an unprecedented sort of downfall of a team on the road. Obviously, you know, we can talk about the Rockies home and road splits, which we will, but this is wild stuff. I mean, they have lost, uh, I believe at one point they had lost, and Evan, correct me here, I want to say 29 straight road games or something similar. Like, that is... Uh, the the record that they just set um, the other day was 23 consecutive road losses. There you go. 23 consecutive, home, consecutive road losses. That is unprecedented. What's not working? I mean, obviously you could get into the talent of a team, but that is a that's a special kind of... You know, not even mediocrity. That's, I mean, I know I don't even mean that's kind of a complete failure. Yeah. What's, what, what do you make of that? Is that fixable? It's really weird because they started on the road, uh, nine and eight, and they've still got a better road record than the Rockies. Yeah. But then they go on and lose, you know, 23 games in a row on the road. That's insane. They're on a 10 game losing streak. At home, they're not any good either. They're eleven and nineteen. They've got a winning percentage of just two eighty six. They are quite comfortably one of the worst teams at baseball this year. Just nothing is working for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's on all fronts, especially because even when they are winning games, there was a game earlier in the week against the Giants where they had a seven to nothing lead and were about to snap their losing streak on the road, and they blew it. Yep. And the Giants came ahead and went and won. Final score eight to seven. Mm. Just nothing is working. They're on pace, I think, uh, for 116 <laughs> losses this year with how they are playing right Man. now. And so the Rockies are bad, yeah, but it, at least we're not the Diamondbacks. And it's kind of nice to have our expansion team bros sort of suffering with us here, but they're in a whole nother level of just bad right now because. Of all the teams that are struggling on the road, like the Orioles, I think, have dropped 19 road games in a row. And the Orioles are also one of those comfortable basement dweller teams. Yeah. Uh, The Diamondbacks, the Pirates, the Orioles. But 23 road losses in a row is insane. That's crazy to think about. It really is. Like, the Rockies have a terrible road record. But... You still, we still like pick one up every now and then to end the streak. And like, I'm comfortable with saying that I don't think we're going to hit a streak that long because we do reliably every couple series grab a win or two. We sure haven't won any series on the road, 
but we reliably grab a win every now and then to cut the streak short. And you'd expect the Diamondbacks to do the same, but it's just not happening. Yeah. Skyler, is there anything you're... I mean, we probably watch more Rockies games than anything else, but is there anything you're seeing with the Diamondbacks that makes you, like, kind of think, like, this is the reason it's not working? Or what are the Diamondbacks doing incorrectly that the Rockies could take from their own and kind of learn from? I, I think with the road thing, I think it's on both teams. You know, they're more or less... You know, the two team, the rest of the NL West, they're all in California, whereas you know, the Rockies were here up in the mountains and then down in Arizona, and the Rockies and the Padres or the Diamondbacks, excuse me, play in more hitter-friendly ballparks. Oh, and so I don't know what it is, what it is that leaving their home ballparks is making them struggle so much and. Like we mentioned, Diamondbacks are just kind of bad all around right now, not doing good at home either. But there's just something that I've been kind of contemplating, like wondering what's happening with these teams when they're leaving their home ballparks, especially these hitter-friendly ballparks. What's happening to these two teams that they couldn't buy a run or buy a win on the road? And so that's what I'm – I'm still at a loss for words of how these teams – can be so bad when they leave their respective uh, ballparks. And something looking up stats here, just for even for Arizona, they're just kind of near the bottom of the league in a lot of offensive categories. Oh, they're just not making good t- contact. They can't hit the ball. They're striking out too much. Like their their teams their team total slash line is two thirty two three oh four three seventy nine, which is tough to look at and the Rockies you know team slash line is not great uh I you know it's 245 310 394 but that's astronomically even better than what the Diamondbacks are doing even with a team that is bad like the Rockies and then their pitching is also just not any good right now Madison Bumgardner had that seven inning no hitter and then after that has been nightmarishly bad. And the, the whole team, uh, the team ERA is like, five, I just had it up. It's 537. Compare that to the Rockies. And the Rockies, especially on the road, have been struggling with ERA. The Rockies team ERA is 494. Mm. Mm. That's stark. That's stark, isn't it? Like, they are just an aggressively worse team than the Rockies, which I don't think anybody expected. Like, um, their ERA plus is all the way down to 77. They have a whip of uh, 1.45. Things just aren't working on either side of the ball for them. And then back up to their their hitting, they've got a couple guys who are hitting fairly well, like especially uh, Kettle Marte is, I think, hitting 347 right now. Yeah. But they have more guys than you would like to see hitting under 200. Yep. Absolutely, man. It's It really is kind of a, a fall apart on all fronts for, for Arizona right now. Um, and then, obviously, meanwhile, we've got the Rockies, who, uh, speaking of these home road splits, um, I know Evan, you had some really cool stats about this. Uh, it's not exactly, you know, you don't have to be an analytics expert to know that the Rockies are a much better team on their own field than they are off it. And... You know, we've always known that about the Rockies, that they do play better at home than on the road. But this year, it's really been taken to a wild, wild level. I mean, uh, Evan, you mentioned that the, that the Dimebacks, who have lost 23 straight home games at one point, have a better road record than the Rockies. You know, we think, how is that possible? So we, uh, you know, well, shoot, I'll start with you, Evan. You had some really great facts uh, and some stats about Austin Gombers, for instance, a guy who struggled at the start of the season, but now pitches like an ace of course field, isn't he? Yeah. Austin Gomber's road uh, road ERA is 5.06, and that's that's going way down. It was something like 6.88 earlier after his really tough start. But his ERA at home is 0.95 across 28 and one-thirds innings. That's crazy. And all of our starting pitchers are pitching way better at home than on the road. And that's really bizarre because usually, you know, Pitching works better away from Coors Field. We all know that. But every single one of our starters is pitching better at home. 
Uh, Antonio Sensatella is pitching 383 at home compared to 694 away. Herman Marquez is pitching 356 at home compared to 574 away. And then you've got Austin Gomber, like I just said. The majority of the bullpen is pitching better at home. Everyone is just doing better at home, and then the offense clearly springs to life at home. Wow. It's crazy. It is crazy. The Rockies are tied, as of today's recording, for the uh, National League best uh, home record. They've got a better home record than both the Giants and the Dodgers and the Padres at 24-14. and They're 10 games over five hundred at home but on the road they're five and 27 and they can barely string they can't string wins together. i want to say i saw um our uh, editor sam bring up that the rockies currently have more walk-off wins than they do home or they they have road wins uh that, that is, is insane they have six walk-off wins with charlie's earlier this uh earlier this week and five road wins what do you make of it skylar Well, I think when you look at, you know, getting to the nitty-gritty, looking at those, looking at their record on the road, no, it's not like they're getting blown out every single game on the road. Like, they're still fairly close games. They're still winnable games. It's just they can't hit. They can't hit the broadside of a barn when they leave Coors Field. And like we've talked about, it's always been that same thing where, no, you're going to expect the drop-off in offense when you leave Coors Field. That's just the way it goes. But this year it's just been astronomical, the difference that we've seen. And they just – they're striking out too much. They're not having good at bats. Uh, they're taking a Coors Field approach on the road where they're very aggressive at home. But then when they leave, they can't pick up the spin. They're not taking good at bats. They strike out a ton. Uh, they're popping out. They're grounding out. It's just doing all the little things wrong <laughs> that's resulting in them not able to score runs when they're on the road. Because pitching, for the most part, still keeps it competitive. Uh, we've seen a lot of starts where they've kept it competitive, but it's just the offense hasn't been able to produce at all while on the road. Yeah. What's I've used the term fundamentally broken about the Rockies road offense far more than I would like yeah. this season. Yeah. And the only guys who have really been reliable on the road are Charlie Blackman, Ryan Tapia, Ryan McMahon, and Jonathan Daza. And, and, and Jonathan Daza is a guy that's really, you know, Ryan Tapia we mentioned is kind of coming into his own this season. You've got, like you just said, Blackman, who's, you know, the elder statesman of the Rockies, but McMahon and uh, to, to a much greater degree, Daza are the two guys that are just kind of like getting their you know feet planted at the major league level, man. So it's it's very very interesting, and it's not something that you know you're going to be able to see a turnaround on immediately. But hopefully, they can kind of turn around by you know the end of the season, even if you're not making the you know playoffs, at least be a little bit more competitive. Um, and then one more thing before we wrap it up here today, I did want to cover is you know we mentioned the home and road splits. Well. You know, you don't got to worry about the home and road splits in one game, and that's the All-Star game, which is coming to Denver for the first time in a long time. I know we're all very excited about that. Evan mentioned earlier that this is a great year for Rockies fans getting to see Larry Walker's number retire. He's going to the Hall of Fame. The All-Star game is here. Uh, we recently heard earlier today as we record that Shohei Otani will officially be competing in the Home Run Derby, which is so much fun. That's so cool for, for I'm fans. I'm so excited to it's hear that. last, man. It's going to be an absolute blast. So last thing I want to cover real quick with you guys, I want two questions answered from each of you. I want to know which all-star festivity you think is going to be the most fun this year and who is your dream current home run derby hitter? Other than Otani, who else should join him? Or give me multiple guys. Who else is, would you like to see Otani go against in the home run derby? I can start with this one. Do it, Skyler. Give me some. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think, so the most fun activity think it's more it's most likely going to be the home run derby yes uh just with it being at Coors Field everybody's kind of hyped for that and what's cool is there are so many fun young sluggers in the game now yes. that you know they can go and just have a blast with the home run derby and you know, I think the epitome of what the home run derby could be was the last one we had in 2019 between Pete Alonso and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Also, Jock Peterson. 
Uh, so that I think that's the epitome of what's the most fun can happen at the All-Star Game. And as for who I'd like to see, I did write an article about this. Yes, you did. Back in like May or April, some time ago about who I wanted to see. And Otani was on that list. But I think one of the big ones is I just want to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. again and have him go head-to-head against Otani because Vladdy Jr. in his rookie season puts on this amazing show and he's having a phenomenal MVP year uh, this season. And so to see him and Otani, the two kind of leading the pack for the American League MVP, having them go head-to-head in an all-star derby at Coors Field for the home run derby, that that would be must-watch TV for me. Either that or a 60-year-old Andres Galarraga. <laughs> Excellent. Evan, who you got? Uh, so for the... I mean, I got to agree that the most fun event is probably going to be the Home Run Derby. I want them to use non-humidor balls. Yes. I want them to bring back the juice balls from a couple of years ago. Yes, sir. I want them to give everybody metal bats, and I want to see Shohei Otani and Vladdy Jr. hit balls to the moon. Let's get crazy. You're in the perfect environment for a Home Have Run Jamie Derby. Have Jamie Moyer pitch. All anyone talks <laughs> about how he, is how... Um, Coors Field is the is the home run park that the the Coors Field advantage lets everyone hit more home runs and everybody hit for more power. Play into it. You gotta you gotta you gotta do all that. You gotta let just people tear the cover off the ball and rock them into orbit. And I agree one hundred percent that the the two best people for the home run derby right now are Shohei Otani and Vladdy Jr. Yes. The the MVP race for the AL, they're both excellent. They're both hitting like home run for home run for each other. They're they're both hitting very similar numbers right now, and it's so much fun and it's so cool to say that there's a pitcher, there's a two way player who is a pitcher hitting in the home run derby. How about that? And I love Shohei Otani. I've been following him since he was back in Japan. He's incredible, and this year has been such a blast to watch him be so good and there's plenty of other players you want to see in the derby too i want to see ryan mcmahon there uh i think fernando tatis has got to be there um jesse winker of the reds definitely but the highlight attraction is going to be vladdy versus shohei yep hands down and i am so excited i have tickets for this ah nice so i will be out there uh, on the rooftop with my glove waiting for people to hit home runs my way yeah man that's what's about that's gonna be an absolute blast man i'm i'm, I'm so jelly that it's gonna be such a good time man um yeah i i think you both nailed it i, I don't really have much else to add on so i think you both absolutely nailed it i think that you know shohei Watani, like you both said he's must watch tv we've never seen somebody like this at least in our lifetimes i think it's fair to say who is a true true two-way player uh vlad guerrero you know skyler just said he's putting up a MVP season. He's so, you know, he's so much fun to watch. Absolutely destroying baseballs. For me, I'd like to see Ryan McMahon get in. I know it's biased, but he's a, he's a young guy. You know, he's a strong dude. I think he could absolutely obliterate balls to that rooftop with Evan waiting for those baseballs coming his way. I think that, uh, you know, getting some rocks reputation would be fun. And then, uh, you know, call me crazy. I want to see John Carlos stand in there. I know he's been hurt this season. I know he's, uh, a little bit up there in age, but I just think, you know, John Carlos stands my guy when I think of just like absolutely annihilating baseballs. And I think he would be a lot of fun to watch at elevation. I think you're going to see a couple 500 foot home runs personally, especially if you said, man, give me them juice balls. That's what I want to see. But, um, but yeah, man, I think that's going to pretty much wrap us up for today. Uh, you know, obviously we're going to, we're going to be doing this a lot more often. We do this weekly podcast. If you guys have any questions or anything you want asked or, or answered on the podcast, please let us know. You can get us on Twitter. Evan, plug your Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is at Evan underscore Lang 27. Uh, there's also the Affected by Altitude Twitter, which um, we just got access to. So you'll forgive me if I don't remember the name off the top of my head. So how about you guys plug your Twitters while I pull that up? Yes, sir. Uh, Skyler, shoot me your Twitter. What is it? So you can find me at at sideline underscore crowd. Uh, we have a good time. I need more followers, so I'll take whoever I can get. <laughs> you can get my dumb jokes and gifts. 
and replies there on the internets. Uh, but yeah, it's a fun Big time. fan of Skylar's Twitter, man. Skylar's funny on Twitter. Evan and, and Skylar are both very active on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at, at Cormac Battle Pro. That's by uh, Pro Wrestling and also Rocky's uh, you know, Twitter. We have a lot of fun here. Um, but yeah, man, thanks so much for joining us today. Obviously, we're going to be doing these a lot more often. Myself, Evan, and Skylar are so excited to be a part of the Effective Biopsy podcast. Please for, always remember to check on the Purple Row website. We have daily news and articles written by ourselves and also by all the members of our incredibly talented staff. Check out the daily rock piles in the morning. Check out the game threads and recaps in the evening and general one-off articles that are written all the time. Thanks very much for joining us. Why Affected by Altitude. And we'll catch you guys next time. Stay safe in this heat. Have a good one, guys. Hey, thanks for listening. Yeet. Farewell.